0: Uh, So, hey, everyone, we're back with uh, the Utility Strategy Podcast and the second live episode. Uh, We really love these uh, live sessions. Uh, We're getting great feedback from you guys about uh, about what we're doing here. So uh, keep it coming and uh, let us know uh, what we can uh, do better. Uh, So on today's live event, we've got Jimmy Wong, who I know a lot of you already know. Uh, But just in case some of you don't, uh, Jimmy, I think, is one of the most knowledgeable people I know in the damage prevention space, uh, who has a very different point of view about the industry. So uh, without further ado, uh, Jimmy, how are you doing today?
1: Good. Good. How are you, uh, David? Wish uh, everyone watching has a nice Wednesday so far
0: yeah uh absolutely uh so uh give us uh give us some background uh, for those who don't know you uh tell us a little bit about your career path
1: yeah so i've been in the damage prevention industry now for uh for 20 a little over 20 years and i started in the contract locating world and uh, worked with various private equity firms uh, helping to sell as part of management and ownership companies four companies in the space and you know at at these companies i i led everything from mergers acquisitions to financial planning analysis uh, product development um, uh, you know it even sales just uh almost i like to say almost everything except hr and uh so I, i i have a kind of very deep understanding of um not just contract locators but the, their customers, uh, the utilities and facility owners, and uh, the the one calls who uh, send the tickets and transmissions. So, um, and I like to synthesize all that kind of background into uh, w- when I look at questions like, how can the industry get better, uh, get significantly better at what what it does? Yeah.
0: So, so tell us uh, tell us a bit, a bit a bit about that. So, I think in recent uh, one of the one thing I heard you saying at the event we had in uh, um, in Dallas was that uh, damages per excavation activity have flatlined over the past three past three years, and at the same time we've seen the volume uh, uh, increasing in the in the past decade
1: yeah so what, what we know from the dirt report, which is the most comprehensive. Report of this industry, how this industry is doing. Uh, It doesn't, it does not have all the data, unfortunately. I mean, no one has, but it it has the most. So, what we know is for the past 10 years, every year the transmissions have been increasing between six and eight percent a year. Uh, And you compound that over, you know, 10 years and uh, it's basically about doubled. And so, so volume has about doubled. And meanwhile, in the past three years from, uh, that we have the dirt reports, the 2022 is not out yet. So from 2019 to 2021, uh, we know that the damages, um, have actually been increasing, but the damages per construction activity, whether we want to do, uh, damages per $1 million, $1 million of construction or, uh, damages per 1,811 transmissions, that's been flatlining. So, uh, we're essentially spending the industry spending more on the transmissions and the uh, damage prevention of those transmissions, which typically means locating, al- almost always means locating. Uh, we're spending more on that, and the results have kind of been flatlining um, in terms of damages per construction activity. And I think we have to be honest with ourselves and say that, well, you know, um, all the stakeholders are. Working pretty hard at what they're doing, and are putting in authentic, uh, you know, genuine efforts. And yeah. yeah, and you know, what are the opportunities here? Right? Can is it just is it just stakeholders doing more of what they're doing, doing more of what they're doing harder, uh, or do we look at kind of the system, the processes, and uh, typically? In, in, in pretty much every industry in the US and the world, the quantum leap improvements have been spurred on, have been really uh, made with te- new technologies, and new data, new information, and not by doing something harder or doing more of something. And I, I think we have to come to that realization here. And I think too often we do not, right? We're, we're uh, sometimes, too often we do what I call just throwing more bodies and more hours at the problem. And I, I think we have to realize that that's not going to take us to where we want to get to, you know, especially with CGA's, uh, you know, noble goal of 50 and five, right? Reducing damages by 50% of five years, which I think is a great, uh, aspirational goal. But that, that's not going to be, that's not going to happen by, you know, locating harder or locating more or, uh, you know, whatever.
0: Yeah, which is, uh, to be honest, like when we look at the construction industry, I think uh, throwing more more bodies at the problem in a lot of cases does solve the problem.
1: So so why why not in damage prevention? Well, so, um, because I I think first is we've tried that, right? I mean, the the industry has tried that. The damage prevention industry has tried that, doing uh, throwing more bodies at the problem, you know, some, some companies, some of the facility owners have uh, have gone to what they call one locator solution, right? Where the locator uh, locates just their facilities. And, you know, sometimes they get slightly better results, but the it often it comes at much higher prices, uh, much higher costs in terms of the damage prevention costs. And the other thing is, you know, there are available data and technology solutions for this industry that really are not uh, have not been embraced or have not been embraced enough. And, um, you know, so for example, some of the, uh, you know, predictive analytics or some of the mapping tools, um, you know, the companies like 4M have, right. Um, that are not embraced enough because I think we're, we're fixated. We're kind of attached to there, there's an old adage that, uh, David, you're probably too young to remember, but, uh, great for you, uh, called, uh, no one ever got fired for buying IBM, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, in, in old days, it's, you know, IBM was it, right? So if I just, if I just buy IBM, I, I can't, I can't be fired for it. Right. I might not get amazing results. I might not get better results than what I'm getting right now because I'm using IBM right now. I'll just buy more IBM, but at least I yeah. won't get fired. And I think there's that mentality is very pervasive in this industry where, you know, uh, if I just locate more, if I if I if I'm paying X dollars for locating, if I pay you know another ten percent more, I should get better results. Uh, and I can't get fired for that. I'm trying something. Right? I'm fighting for more budget for this activity. Uh, you know, I, I, I may not get quantum leap improvements in results, but at least I won't get fired. And I, I think there's a lot of that here right now. What do you think we? Uh...
0: We, we can do because and I think like I think the trivial answer is uh, well let, let's educate right I think that everywhere I go in construction everyone is talking about edu- education and uh, giving more education to, to the industry but I think that uh, we need practical solutions and and you know like in the last uh, in the last CGA, not not this one like 2 CGA's ago when i was everyone was everyone started talking about sharing data and i think we're starting to hear that from uh uh from even from utility owners what what are your thoughts about that do you think that's going to that yeah. that's maybe going to solve
1: the the challenge of damage prevention uh, absolutely so uh you know there was there was a podcast on um one of my favorite podcasts called free economics uh a few weeks ago about how the U.S. airline industry got to be so safe, okay? And you are now about 800 times safer per mile flying on a major U.S. airline than you are driving. So if you drive even 10 miles to the airport to take a flight, you, know, you are far more likely to die in a car accident on your way to the airport than you are on the plane. And the question was, how did the podcast subject, the title was like, how did the US airline industry get to be so safe? And there were a bunch of reasons, but there were two major reasons. One was um, extensive and pervasive sharing of safety data between the airlines and between the airlines and and the TSA. Okay, Uh, and just extensive sharing of safety data. And the second was extensive usage of data and technology, uh, you know, on the planes and, uh, that collect all the information, all, you know, just tons of sensors. Uh, every flight has gigabytes of data that they can analyze. Okay. So if you take that to our industry, do we have extensive sharing of data between, uh, the facility owners, the other stakeholders, uh, you know, government agencies? No, actually, not only do we not have extensive sharing of data, safety or otherwise, we have extensive protection of data, right? Everyone's data is proprietary. It's my strategic treasure trove of uh, of data that's, that gives me an advantage, or at least will not disadvantage me if I share it. So not only do we not share data, we have very protective tendencies towards that data. And the second is extensive use of technology. So if you, yeah, I mean, there have been usage. Th- there is usage of just technology, right? Thirty-five years ago, we didn't, um, we we didn't have cell phones or laptops or stuff like that that you know the damage professionals today have and use. But what about a lot of the um, other data, right? Are we updating? We, we have the capabilities to uh, update our maps as we locate right now. Do we? How how often do we do that? Um, so, you know, a lot of this more advanced data, we just don't do it. It's, it's, we're fundamentally doing the same thing we did 35 years ago, which is go out, find out where the facilities are, we put paint on where we think the facilities are, and then we're done. Okay. I mean, that, that, that fundamentally has not changed in 35 years. So, I think if we look at an industry that's incredibly safe, just, you know, insanely safe now, and how they got there. And if we want to do that, if we want to get to 50 and five, if we want to get to, you know, the road to zero damages, uh, you know, there are kind of formulas and success stories out there that we can follow. Do, do you believe that?
0: I think one of the challenges for, uh, for utility owners today is not that there's like it's not that they don't want to share data, but it's, I think they're stuck in that mindset. Like you said, it's like, they don't want to, to risk their jobs and, and uh, uh, or their positions in the company to right. take that innovation leap and say, hey, I'm willing to share my data. Like I I, I see it as, as something that's really, really hard for those who are get, who need to make that decision as a hard decision.
1: Yeah. It, it, it's a hard decision. It, um, at, I think last year's CGA conference there was a presentation by um, Mar- Marathon Pipeline, and the president of Marathon, Marathon Pipeline was there, and he was talking about an app that they had just released called Marathon Pipeline Finder, and where you know anyone can download this app on a, a iOS or Android device. And it will show them Marathon's pipelines around the country. Okay. So you could take this app, you could download this app and walk, you know, drive around and say, okay, where's the Marathon pipeline? And someone from the audience asked, hey, what did your lawyers think about this? And the president of Marathon, yeah, it was a great question, right? It's America, so what what do the lawyers think, right? Um, And he said, yeah, my lawyers didn't like it. Uh, And they they hated it. But what he said, what I told the lawyers is the risks of doing it exist, but they're less than the risks of not doing it, right? So uh, the risks and downside of not doing it, and which is, I thought, one of the most insightful things I'd heard from a senior executive in this industry, which is, of course, there are risks of doing it. Right? It's it's not a non-zero risk, right? Yeah, you, you have the risk someone can use use the app to find out where your pipelines are, and you know uh, the domestic terrorists or whomever, and um, you know cause them damage, right? But what are the daily risks of not doing it? The daily risks of all the legitimate construction other activities uh, that could pose to the pipeline, the Marathon pipeline, of not doing it, right? And that's a non-zero risk, right? But um, I thought that was, so we need more senior executives in this industry who have that kind of insight and frankly courage to say, look, I know there are risks of doing this, but I believe they are less than the risks of not doing it. And and then he also mentioned like, look, if if someone wants to do uh, damage, if if terrorists want to do damage to this, they could already go to the National Pipeline Management System and get that information where they can call in one and have someone mark where the pipelines are at. Right. So, yeah. um, that already exists, right? That we need more people in this industry to instead of, you know, uh, grasping onto the no one got fired by, I- by an IBM mentality, uh, just be honest with themselves. Say, look, of course, there are risks. There are non risks of doing this or something different or something, uh, leveraging data and technology. Instead of just throwing bodies and hours at the problem, and uh, you know, I'm going to be the one that takes this, takes this, does this something different than buying IBM, uh, because doing so will give us more upside, and the downsides of doing so are, in my opinion, less than the downsides of not do, uh, of doing the same thing.
0: I think that uh, you touched on it a bit just now that that the homeland security argument is the first argument that is thrown at us when we talk about sharing data yeah. what what would you have to say to that
1: you know that's still the first argument but when I'm at these conferences and in these sessions where there's honest discussion there are more and more people who are calling calling that out and saying look they can already get that information right the 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 terrorists can already get that information from several different ways, uh, you know, national pipeline management system, you know, 811 systems, or I mean, the other reality is you have a lot of locators. You have literally tens of thousands of locators. And if you add in utility, uh, uti- other utility workers, probably hundreds of thousands driving around in their trucks with unencrypted laptops with all of that facility data on their unencrypted laptops. I mean, let, let's keep this real, right? So, uh, all that's available, and I mean, how many, how many terrorist, how many domestic terrorist incidents have we seen that resulted from that, right? So, uh, there are more and more people and realizing how many that. Many I mean,
0: damages, and how many utility strikes? It,
1: ex- exactly. There's, there's, you know, in the last DIRT report, there's two hundred thousand around two hundred thousand uh, damages in the U.S. And Only the reported ones. All the reported ones, right? And how many, yeah. how many, how many diehard two scenarios have there been, right? Where the terrorist takes over the airport from, uh, you know, hacking into the uh, communications lines at a church nearby, right? I mean, zero that I know of, uh, versus two hundred thousand a year, damages. Yeah. Yeah,
0: um, I think I think, though, uh, another point going back to the facility owner, utility owners point of view is that for a long time, they didn't want the competition to know where they're expanding to. And I think this uh, you can say that for most um, most utility companies, but I think it's specifically true for the telecom companies that they just didn't want the com- the competition to know where their next market is going to be. Um, and I think that what we're seeing now is that the the speed of expansion is more important than knowing where they're going to expand to. So everyone everyone knows where the next markets are, and if they if they really want to know where the competition is going, it's like you said, they just go look for eight one one marks and they'll find it. Yeah. Um, but I, but I think now even the telecom companies have realized that. They need to find a way to share the data because not sharing the data is preventing them
1: from expanding. Yeah, absolutely. Right, like, you know, there are very real um, concerns out there, right? You, you brought up one of them, which is the uh, competitive intelligence. Okay, um, where if I'm a, if I'm a fiber company expanding, right, um, and, and fibers geographically, fibers kind of you know first mover takes all, right? Once a fiber company expands in the neighborhood yep. of sub- subdivision, it, the second one's not gonna expand it, not, not gonna vary yep. there, right? Yeah. That's legitimate, but I think if we start too often in this industry, we start with no, okay? What I mean is, yeah, no, we can't do it because you know, here's three reasons why. And I think, again, that's the no one got fired for buying IBM mentality. But if we start with yes, but uh, yeah, we should do this and we're we're going to do it, but we have to address these concerns. And here are the ways we can address these concerns. Okay. These very legitimate concerns. So instead of starting with no, and here's all the reasons why it's no, and it, it would be a never. Uh, we, we start with yes, we should do this. And uh, there are a bunch of reasons why we should do it. And here are the ways we're going to uh, mitigate these very real concerns. I mean, no, we shouldn't dismiss these concerns, but we, you know, th- there's a big difference in getting things done. I mean, we do this inside our companies. Um, if we start with yes, and then address the concerns, instead of starting with no, and here are the reasons why, right? So yeah. there, I mean, someone threw out, uh, I, was, I was at a conference where someone threw out about the concerns about telecommunications companies. So we don't want to share, you know, we could, uh, the 811 center may be able to obscure who uh you know who the contractors are who the work's being done for or uh obscure for a certain amount of time or whatever there are ways to do this right i'll give i'll give a very real example of how when we start with no we can't get things done so there are some states who are moving to um so there's a lot of feedback like look if we can get tickets into the queue before 48 hours, right? Because right now, I know some states are too, but let's keep it simple. If we get tickets into a queue before 48 hours, you know, a week out, two weeks out, three weeks out, two months out, um, the locators and utilities can see, uh, you know, kind of the, uh, the tickets in queue, right? And can adjust the workforce better, right? And then the response from some people is, well, yeah, but legally we cannot have tickets before 48 hours. Right. That, that's just what it says in our state. So frankly, that's meant, that's something you get if you start with no, right? No, legally, you can't do this. But if you start with yes, then there are many solutions to that. You can say, okay, well, you know what? When you submit something before 48 hours, it's not a ticket. It's a pre-ticket or it's a pre-intent, mm-hmm. right? It's like pre-boarding on the plane. So it's yeah. not a, it's not a ticket. So it's not legally not a ticket. It's a pre-ticket. And the pre-ticket 48 hours uh, before it's due automatically turns into a ticket, right? And look, I'm not saying that's the solution. I'm saying, if you start with yes, like, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's figure out ways we could do this. We know we have these laws that say it, it, you cannot submit a ticket before 48 hours, but you know what, maybe there's some ways to address that, right? It's not a ticket yet, it's just, it's it's an intent. It's an intent to create a ticket 48 hours before it's due, and I'm submitting this intent two weeks before.
0: I mean, there's also a, a question, I think, here. of We have different types of tickets and different reasons why people call the ticket for 811. Like design tickets, I think, is a, is a good example. That people, yeah. they, they just want to see the markings so they can put them into the design plans. Like it's not, these are not actual damage prevention quote unquote tickets. Somebody's going to be there digging the day after tomorrow, right? Uh, so I think there is a lot of room for the system uh, to to be open to new initiatives.
1: Yeah, right. And, and and there are, but you know what I see is some someone not all of them, someone calls are like yeah, but we only have a mandate or the law just says we we uh, we take care of these excavation tickets, right? Dig tickets. So we we don't have purview. We don't have uh, we're not authorized to deal with these other tickets. Well, you know, I, I don't know the intricacies of the law in that state, but, you know, are are there ways you could not get around it, but are are there ways you could fulfill the intent of the system, which is to prevent, I mean, if you think about what is, if you forget the law, like what's the intent of this whole system, The, the, what's the intent of the law? It's to really prevent damages, promote, uh, public safety. Right. So, and it says you could do these things, but are there other actions that overlap significantly with the initial words of the law that further the intent? Right. I mean, one of my clients uh, went to West Point, and he uses a phrase a lot that I love: is uh, "commander's intent." Right. What's the? It's so the actual words that the commander uttered. That you know, the, while uttering those words, he, he or she cannot. Anticipate all possible scenarios, right? But what was the intent of the, of the commander, or what was the intent of the law in this case? Yeah, I get I get what you're saying.
0: I think though that you know it's it's sad, but I think that most don't don't view it that way as uh, like it, as there's no room for interpretation.
1: Well, I, look, I mean. That's obvious, right? And when you interpret that way, uh, w- when you start with no, I think we get, frankly, the results that we've been seeing the past two years, which is uh, you know, the damages per million dollars uh, construction spend or damages per um, thousand transmissions have been flatlining, right? Uh, because we do the same things over and over and expect different results. Or we do the same, or we do more, literally more of the same. You know, more headcount, more hours, and we expect different results, right? And throughout history, um, throughout history, almost all improvements in safety, uh, efficiency have come as a result of new technologies, right? New technologies, in, including new data. And we have to be honest with ourselves and ask us, you know, in this industry, are, have we been doing that?
0: I think there's also an element of, you know, going back going back to the kind of bigger question of of why we're here to talk today. Um, that a reason why we're not we're not really seeing a decline. I think is because that even if we throw more bodies, the amount of infrastructure coming down the pipeline and the amount of damage prevention that needs to be done with bodies, there's I think there's no way to beat that with bodies yeah. and and more than that i think that we have less bodies in the industry
1: to do the work we do we we do i mean the the i know the wages that the contract locators are paying now are significantly higher probably doing some rough math in my head probably uh you know maybe 30 40 maybe even 50 percent higher than just a few years ago right and you know, un- unemployment still, I think, near record lows, like in the three percent range. So the they're competing with uh, other kind of uh, called blue collar workers who you know in construction in direct construction, so the construction services in direct construction and other uh, semi skilled skilled jobs in the field that are paying more that will pay more. So it, they cannot, you know, you cannot win this fight, right? You're you're competing uh, as the number of tickets increase. That that means construction act- activities increasing, and which means you're going to need more people if if that's the route you go down for locating. And you're competing with the higher paying construction jobs, right? So I mean, that's not that that's a losing battle. You're not competing with the uh, uh, that's really interesting. You're not
0: competing with the other locating firm down the road. You're competing with the trade yeah. industry or the yeah. trade ecosystem, so to speak. So to yeah. speak.
1: Yeah, you are. I, I, I was talking with um, uh with the manager at a um construction company. They have uh they have VACX uh hydrovac trucks and they're hy- Hydrovac technicians now um with a little overtime can make six figures. Okay. Not even forty wow. percent overtime, just yeah. just a little overtime, 20 percent overtime can make six figures easy. Okay. Wow. So uh and you know, that's someone also in the industry, right? In the construction construction related services industry. I mean, which is yeah. good. I mean good it's good for that guy. I'm not I'm not I mean, great, you know, uh great you can make six figures during HydroVac, but then, um, you know, the locators that are competing with services like that.
0: Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, it's a, the workforce challenge is one that we're seeing all across the industry. So, like, the, the HydroVac example, I think, is one example out of an entire industry. Like, i pretty sure, pretty, pretty confident to say that uh, there are more and more examples like that.
1: Yeah, there, there are. So, and... And it would be, we would be in a very bad position. This industry would be in a very bad position if, if there were no alternatives to what this industry does, damage prevention, right? If there were no technological data, data analytics uh, uh, alternatives to, to, to having uh, more people in the field, more hours. But there are. I mean, there are. Like so for hydrovac, I mean, you know. You got to have someone to operate the hydrovac, so they have to hire someone, right? But for us, I think there are I, th- I think there are are alternatives, in, uh, more advanced mapping, more advanced data collection that uh, uh, can potentially decrease the need to uh, send a guy or gal out every time, right? Things like that, and I I don't think we're thinking enough about it.
0: What What are you hearing? Um... Other leaders in the industry saying about these challenges. What are, what are you hearing the directors of the eight one one saying?
1: Well, I think it it stands. Um, there's a there's a broad spectrum, um, and I, I know a lot of them. A lot of them are friends of mine, and I think you have some who are like, "Look, I'm I'm here to." I'm here because uh, there's a state law that says I have to, you know, t- take incoming tickets and then send out transmissions, and that's what I'm doing. Okay, yeah, fine. There are some others who are trying to do, uh, and then they they have a limited scope. Um, so, in terms of uh, what the what the transmissions are and what types of tickets, they're very limited. Where frankly, they limit themselves. Um, there are some others who are like, yeah, no, look, I, I'm in. I'm trying to. I'm in the uh, public safety damage prevention business, right? So yeah, I have to fulfill these legal requirements, but I I want to be on the lookout for um, other opportunities to improve public safety and reduce damage prevention. And I think those people are more open to um, leveraging data, to improving the efficiency of the system. And sometimes when I use the word efficiency, like it offends some people because they're like, "Look, safety is not about efficiency." Not efficient? Yeah, yeah, because safety is not about efficiency, right? Yeah. Safety is safety is infinite, and efficiency is like this. This game businesses play, and I'm like, "No, it, it's everything's about efficiency." Okay, because if you do something in an inefficient way, it's not scalable. It's not. It's gonna collapse under its own weight. Okay. Yep. Um, And so everything's about efficiency. Everything has to have efficiency components. So, um, you know, that's, that's an important part of it. We need to keep that in mind. And, uh, the only, so what are some not, what are, what what things types of things are non-scalable? Headcount and hours. They're non-scalable, right? Uh, if you have a thousand of something that you need to do and now you have 2000, you have, you have double the number of need of hours and headcount. What are scalable? Technology, data, that's scalable, okay? I mean, google.com is there, whether a billion people use it a year or eight billion people use it a year. I mean, a billion people use it a day or eight billion people use it a day. It's, it's the same google.com. They might throw a couple more servers, but it, they don't need eight times the number of servers, right? Uh, they don't need eight times the amount of code, okay? And I think those are things we really need to think about uh, what's scalable, and we can't protect, I mean, there are no safety kind of jobs or um things that we do in society that pay no attention to cost, right? The example I give people is, like, look, why is it when you drive on the highway, they don't have guardrails on every mile of the highway, right? They have guardrails only on, like, the mountainous parts or the sharp curves yes. or whatever. Like, why yes. is that? Right? Why does does that mean the government wants you to die? You know, no. It, it means because not the, the chances of someone driving off the highway on a straight stretch are,
0: are so low.
1: Right. It, it's yeah. a risk analysis that are, are so low that if they put guardrails on every mile of highway, it, it's it's not sustainable. It's impossible. Right. And uh, and it also means they're leaving some other higher risk. Uh, prevention off the table. They're not doing some of those things to put guardrails on the very low risk parts of the highway. I mean, so we have to keep that in mind.
0: Yeah. We've got uh, Ray- Raymond here from uh, Atmos saying that, uh, oh. that he's offended, but uh, but, jo- but just joking, not, uh, not, not serious. Um, you know, I think that as an industry, we're looking. What, why did I ask you about the, the the leaders and specifically the 811s? Because I think they're perceived as the community leaders of uh, of damage prevention, and I think the industry is look is looking at them and and uh, and looking for them to provide solutions or guidelines into how we can scale and how we can solve these these challenges. And I think I think it really comes down like you. You named the two challenges. We're confined to hours and people, and we like you said. When we're confined to these two things, we can't scale, and it's very difficult to become more and more efficient. Um, and I'm 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 wondering, like I think I think we can we can all see like that there are some eight that are really taking initiatives and they're implementing apps, and there are some that are uh, that are behind. And I'm wondering if you're you're hearing those discussions or listening Absolutely. into those discussions.
1: Yeah, and and some of those. Uh, so some of that is because of how I think the executive director or the president of the 811 looks at looks at their role and the role of their uh, center. But the other is how the board members of those uh, the different 811s Um, act or what their, I guess, what their uh, requests and demands and expectations are of the leader of the A11 Center, right? I mean, the leader of A11 Center, uh, typically they have a board to report to and the board is typically comprised of um, stakeholders, um, influential um, stakeholders in that state.
0: So, yeah, Megan just uh, wrote here in the chat, please keep in mind centers are often guided by boards of stakeholders.
1: Yes, it's
0: exactly. As a CEO, as I, I report
1: to the board. Absolutely. Yes. And, and, and Megan, hi, Megan. May, she's absolutely right. I mean, they, they have a board and uh, it's often... Also, I'm on the board,
0: yep. yeah.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's often very hard, impossible, or frankly, career limiting for the you know, president, CEO, executive director of the one call to do something, um, forward looking or, uh, courageous is the word I used before that the board is not supportive of. Right. So it it comes back to, she's absolutely right. The board has to, has to expect it and want it. Okay. And, um, you know, some too often the boards don't expect or want that, right? They're they're perfectly fine with the status quo.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think I, I agree. Um, we have a question here from uh, from Raymond. What could we do in the short term that all stakeholders would agree with? Agree with to help curb damages and in, in any state.
1: Back to the level of the question. So so. I can think of a few things. Great, great question, Raymond. And uh, I I want to thank Raymond's one of the uh, the the vocal thought leaders at on LinkedIn and 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 at these conferences. I, I would say a few things. One is we have to stop pretending that all tickets are equally important. Okay, and this is some people find this controversial, but I don't think it should be. You no, know, it, we have to stop pretending all tickets are equally important and which means some tickets are more important than others. Okay. And it, it, again, it's like, um, uh, it, it's like that, um, highway and a guardrail example, right? We can't pretend every mile of highway is equally dangerous in terms of people, fly, you know, driving off the road and the consequences of driving off the road, right? If I'm on a, if I'm on a cliff, yeah. You know the the consequences are pretty high, right? If I'm on flat grasslands, consequences are relatively low. That's a reality. That's not something I, you know, woke up one day and said, "Hey, you know what? I I I dictate that the consequences of flying off the side of a cliff is higher than consequences of flying off the side of the prairies." That that's not my opinion, right? Yeah. We have to stop pretending that because only when we do that will we be able to allocate more resources to the higher consequences higher high, higher consequence higher risk uh, tickets which necessarily means less resources to the lower consequence lower risky uh, lower risk tickets right I think that that's that's an immediate kind of mindset change um, the second is we have to ask ourselves so I, I won't mention the state but I was looking at a report from a state about what percent of the of the transmissions uh, in that state. Uh, were not completed on time in 2022,
0: and so, so just, uh, just uh, for those who, uh, who who don't know, who are more from the Sioux world, uh, so a sentence about what transmissions is uh, Jimmy?
1: Yeah, yeah, so it's a uh, it's a uh, well, it, it's I'm going to avoid using the word transmission in the definition of transmission, but it's a uh, it's it's data sent from the one call to the facility owner. Or their representatives, contract locators to say, Hey, here's, here's a ticket. Here's an intent to dig and you have 48 hours or 72 hours to, um, to go locate that. Okay. Go mark that with, uh, go designate that from the, uh, sewer World. So, uh, I think if I recall, like 92% of, um, the transmissions were on time. Okay. Uh, we're, we're not late. So that might seem okay, 92%. It's not horrible. It could be lower. But if you think of it this way, um, the average ticket has, in 2021, if I recall, has almost seven transmissions on it. So seven facility owners on it. So if you take that 0.92 to the power of seven, that gets up to be about 0.56, which means if you have a ticket that has seven facilities on it, and each one has a 92% chance of being located on time, you only have a 56% chance of all seven being located on time, okay? Which means there's almost a 50% chance that it's gonna be late. So you cannot, you know, the excavator cannot start on time. So the reason I bring that up is when we have results like that, and when we see our damage per billion dollars of spend, uh, construction spend and things like that flatline, we should ask ourselves so this is the second one uh, second um recommendation first is not all tickets are the same so the second one is when we see results like that in our industry can we actually get to where we want to get to by just all the stakeholders working harder and more diligently or do we need to look at the the foundations of the industry like the uh the the process flow uh, right the process itself um that were created 35 years ago right and it's that fundamentally has not changed for 35 years so is it just the players playing harder or is it the rules of the game that we need to seriously look at and um and be honest with ourselves are, are these still relevant are these still optimal in 2023 versus you know 1988 or something
0: when you say process do you mean um do you mean, Call 811, 811, then uh, sends the, a ticket down the line to the yeah. uh, facility owner, uh, then goes to the locator, yeah. if there's then there's a screening system in the middle, depending on on state. It, 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 exactly.
1: Right, it, exactly. I mean, that entire process, is that still, is that still the most optimal process? So I I, I asked at uh, one of the sessions, um, at one of these conferences, I, think the, <clears throat> I forgot which conferences, they're all kind of a blur to me, but, um, I'm like, look, if if I gave you a blank sheet of paper to the people in the room who are experts, if I give you a blank sheet of paper today and said, "You draw out the most optimal damage prevention system, knowing what you know," draw out the most optimal damage prevention system process flow. How many of you would draw out the system we have right now? Right, and in a room of like 50, one guy held up his hand. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Right, so we 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 don't have the most optimal system right now, and and very quickly, and that same co- same conference I'm like in 1988 right about 35 years ago the fastest computer in the world um was something called the cray 2 right and it cost 45 million dollars in today's dollars it, it took up a whole room and it was the fastest computer in the world um you know I just bought a Samsung s23 ultra that I'm using for this call right now and it, it's a thousand bucks and I asked people in the room I'm like how do you know how many times this this phone is faster than the fastest computer in the world 35 years ago. You know, there were guesses. The answer is 1,100 times faster. And this device costs a thousand bucks. Uh, also has, you know, GPS, uh, can make calls, can do, uh, events like this. Uh, you know, can take photos, all that stuff. And it, I can hold it in my hand. And yet the fundamental process we have is, from the times of the Cray 2 right? It, it fundamentally has not changed. And is that optimal? So instead of looking at the different players and stakeholders, look at the rules of the game, the process flow of the game, uh, how how the, how the score is kept in the game. That would be my yeah. second one. I, I mean, that, that's probably not short term, but it has to start.
0: Yeah, I, I heard uh, someone say, I, I think it was Elon Musk, but don't don't uh, hold me to it. That the technology that we, uh, that took us to the moon is nothing compared to what we have in our pocket today.
1: Yeah, absolutely, right. Yeah. I, I mean, it, absolutely. And we we have to, but with that technology, it's not just working harder. It's not just working more of the same. Right. It's. Artists. Let's look at let's look at the system, right? So you know you brought up Elon Musk, right? So uh, before before him, I'm not a rocket scientist, but before him, right, the rockets went up and then they kind of fell back to Earth themselves, or somewhere somewhere one use, right? So he got these rockets to land back uh, safely, right? In like the same place where they took off, right? Let's yeah. let's think differently about some, a lot of these things. Yeah.
0: Uh, we've got a comment here from uh, Paul who said, data sharing for improved mapping, agreed. Uh, two, uh, prioritization of tickets uh, with proper leverage of limited manpower, also agreed. Uh, might we have a short discussion or mention of other proactive uh, live right-of-way monitoring technologies that can stop damage before it occurs? Um,
1: not really sure I understood the, the last part, but, uh, but maybe yeah. you do. So um, it's probably talking talk about like fiber optic sensing technology, which I, uh, yeah, yeah uh, which which I think is uh, is something that really needs to be looked at. Well. Well. yeah, which yeah. really needs to be looked at, and uh, can be can be and probably should be uh, an alternative to um, to throwing more bodies and hours at the problem, right? And uh, it can also address the number one, the single biggest cause of damages uh according to Dirt Report, which is uh no eight one one ticket, right? In insufficient um notification practices. Um and fiber optic sensing could be uh could be used to address that. I think that's it's one of the only technologies that can be used to address that. Right. Uh and I, I think it's a great example along with uh you know mapping um and you know you know updating the the maps and probably a predictive analytics of where we should be going, uh, or we should be, where we should be looking at instead of just, again, throwing more bodies and hours at the problem.
0: Yeah. But, you know, I think like we had on our last event, um, we had uh, Brenda from uh, from Pennsylvania. She's uh, she works uh, she was in di- a director for Nuca and really strong uh, uh, persona uh, uh, in damage prevention and SUE uh, in Pennsylvania and generally in the U.S. And she said something that I really like that damage prevention, real damage prevention, happens at the planning and pre-design yeah. stages of construction. And when you say it like that, it really comes down to making sure that the stakeholders involved don't don't even get to, to the point where they need to uh, uh, where they go digging, where either where they shouldn't be or in a reckless manner, and that only happens when record data, uh, utility records as built, are available to all stakeholders in the early stages of the, of the project. And this is, we're talking two, three years before we even know exactly where the site is. Yeah. That's where the, the real damage prevention should happen.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree with her. And, um, you know, Bill Keiger and the team there at ha- NPA N- has, um, has been a leader on that front. Um, I, I totally agree like the the it starts at the planning stage and and we don't do enough of that and I've even had I, I was in some of these meetings where I've had one I don't want to paint all of them with the same brush I know uh, it's not the same but I, I had a, a one call center executive director say well look we're you know it's not in our law like we we're not even supposed to be dealing with these design and uh, engineering tickets right. Uh, yeah. well, okay so basically you're you're kind of you know fixing the house after it's already you know starting new builds right (laughs) yeah uh so we have to change our mindset on that right and uh i I get it right megan's totally right a lot of that depends on um the boards of the various uh various one call centers but it, it absolutely does start at the design and planning stage Yeah. I really
0: hope that we see more of these, uh, more of the stakeholders realizing that. And I think, you know, there's sometimes when you get into the conversations, you hear a lot of uh, finger pointing like uh, this stakeholder is responsible and this stakeholder is responsible. And uh, I think it's to be honest, because this is a challenge that impacts so many stakeholders, it, it needs to be a collective decision. Yeah. So there needs to be an infrastructure in place to allow that decision to be made. I know it went really philosophical there, but it's just how, how I think.
1: You're, you're absolutely right. And if you think about my second suggestion to Raymond's uh, question, it's not the stakeholders, it's not the players in the game, it's the game that we need to really look at, right? So what I, I know we're running over on time, but one, one quick uh, analogy I, I give is... It, you know for the basketball fans out there there a lot of basketball fans complain about you know there are too many three-pointers now right people are just they're just stepping back taking threes oh they don't know how to drive to the net they don't know how to they're not michael jordan well yeah the reason they're taking the threes is because those are the most efficient shots okay these a lot of these three-point guys can um, shoot 35 percent or higher so you have an expected value of 1.1 to 1.2 points per shot Okay. And the two pointers just inside the three point line, uh, the expected value is 0.8 to 0.9. Okay. So the three pointer, the question shouldn't be why are there so many three pointers, but why did it take the NBA 20, 30 years to figure out that these are the most efficient shots? Right. So my point to your point about not blaming, my second point, my second point is. It's not the players. It's not the fault of players or you know, the stakeholders or any individual stakeholder or any two or three stakeholders. Uh They're actually all doing things that are most optimal, given the rules of the game right now, given the rules of the system right now. So it's the system. And by saying that, that we need to examine the system, I, I'm actually giving I, I'm absolving everyone, all these stakeholders of a fault because it's not they're they're doing what is optimal, right? Steph Curry is shooting three pointers, you know times Thompson shooting three pointers all the time because that's the smart thing to do, right? It's not because he doesn't know how to drive to the net. He knows how. He knows how to do that, but that's the most efficient shot, right? And instead, so what's the NBA doing? They're thinking about moving the three point shot line back further, right? Because <laughs> it, it's no. I mean, it's the rules yeah. of the game, right? You can't say, hey, you're ruining the game because you're taking too many three pointers. So, no, you have to change the rules of the game, right? Moving the three-point line further back or uh, if someone fouls you on a three-point shot, you only get two shots instead of three at the free-throw free line, right? That, that's what you have to do. You can't, like, beat them over the head and say, oh, you're taking too many three-point shots. People, people are smart. People in this industry are smart. They're doing what is most efficient for them right now given the rules of the game to change that um, you have to change the rules of the game that will benefit everyone
0: So who's uh, who's gonna lead this uh,
1: change of the game Jimmy is it gonna be you I'm not on the board of one calls I'm not uh, I'm not at some of these big utilities i I think honestly um, the big facility owners who are the only stakeholder putting money into the system are the facility owners right everyone else, Uh, our service providers, everyone else kind of take money out of the system to provide services. So those who have the gold, make the rules, right? That's the golden rule. And those who have the biggest chunks of gold and and are putting in the biggest chunks of gold into the system, make the rules or should make the rules or should influence the rules. And those are, I think, I think it comes down to the big facility owners, uh, multi-state facility owners who have to wake up and say, look, yeah, this is, this is not working right and uh, something that, the, the system that so fundamentally operates the same way as 35 years ago uh, it, with everything else changing so much dramatically changing lifetimes right more there's been more change in the past 35 years in terms of technology and society than probably you know 350 year in a 350 year period in you know the 1500s right and we're still operating with the same system so they have to wake up and say yeah this is we're we're, going to change things and then they're going to push their contract locators and uh the a11 call centers that they're on the boards of to make these changes but i think until they until they say yeah this is this system is broken or this system needs to change uh very little will change
0: yeah I suggest we set up a meeting with them tomorrow and uh, get the show on the road. Well, Fourth, them all in one room tomorrow.
1: No one's leaving until this is improved. <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah, uh, Jimmy. Um, to, to, uh, I know. We're, like we're coming close to, to the end of, uh, of our time. Uh, I want. I want to thank you. I think this is, this has been a great discussion. We had, I think, about twenty people here uh, um, at the peak. Uh, really, really great session uh we oh i see we have a a comment here i missed uh, from andy have always said true damage prevention happens uh by and during design so back to what we yeah. discussed before um so uh, again i want to thank you uh i'm sure there's going to be another another session like uh like this uh part two uh yeah. and i'm looking forward to it
1: yeah and everyone thank you for joining if if uh if you love the session shoot me an email if you hate it shoot david an email please
0: i'll take it no problem (laughs) okay guys thank you so much uh jimmy thank you so much
1: thank you all right bye